Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would speak to us as your people through your word by your spirit. Encourage us, we pray. Challenge us. Speak to us. Help us to see your vision of our place in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, Alan helpfully uh, sketched out the setting of the book of Daniel. I don't propose to go through that uh, again, um, but just to uh, do a brief recap. The story of Daniel is the story of what happens to people in exile. Daniel is one of the uh, faithful Jews who have been taken into captivity by King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar was the head, uh, the emperor of the Babylonian Empire, the first kind of superpower of the ancient Near East. In the area we think of now as um, Iraq, Iran, parts of Syria, that was all one empire. And it was at war with Egypt. Judea was in the way. Uh, The Jewish people were in the middle of these two great powers. And uh, the Babylonians, led by Nebuchadnezzar, swept down and conquered Jerusalem. And what did uh, Nebuchadnezzar do? Well, in stages, he shipped off the Jews back to Babylon into exile. He Babylonized them. He gave them new names, he gave them a new language, he gave them a new culture, he gave them a new religion, he gave them a new way of living. He integrated this awkward little kingdom into his great empire. And that was a problem for the Jews, because the Jews were distinctive. They had distinctive food laws, they had distinctive religious laws, They had distinctive uh, laws about how they should live. But most importantly, they had a distinctive faith. Whereas the Babylonians and the other people around them believed in many gods, they were polytheistic, they were pluralist, Uh, the Jews believed in just one God, the creator God, Yahweh, the God of the whole earth. And so the question arose for Daniel and for those who were carried off into captivity with him, How do I live as a faithful believer in God in a foreign land which stands against everything I believe in? And not only how do I live in this foreign land, how do I live in this foreign land where my God has been defeated, where my country has fallen low, where I have been carried off? There's quite a few bits of the Bible which wrestle with this question. Psalm 137 says this. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and we wept when we remembered Zion. Uh, Boney M made it into a classic. It goes on. How do I sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? This was their issue. This was their question. How do we be faithful in a foreign land, in a foreign culture? This is a question we face as Christians today. How do I live as a believer in an unbelieving world? How do I live with integrity in a pluralistic, polytheistic world? 
As Anne said last week, this has resonance for people throughout the ages of the Jews, for the people under uh, the occupation of Antiochus Epiphanes. It has a resonance for us too. Because whether you know it or not, you're aware of it or not, you too, if you're a Christian, live in a foreign land. You live in a strange land. You live in a land called West Bridgeford or Nottingham or the UK. You live in a land uh, surrounded by people with uh, different values, different views of the world, different beliefs, competing beliefs. And I'm sure at different times and in different places, you feel those beliefs squeezing in on you. You feel uncomfortable. You feel embarrassed. Uh, You feel small in the midst of a mighty empire. That's how Daniel felt. That's how the early church felt. That's how Christians should always feel. We're never really to feel completely at home in this world. So what lessons does the book of Daniel, this strange, unusual, difficult to disciple book, have for us today? Three lessons for us this morning. The first lesson is this. Remember who you are. In this foreign land, remember who you are. In this world of competing values and worldviews and ways of living and ethics and morality and spiritual beliefs, remember who you are. The first thing that Nebuchadnezzar did when he uh, carried off Daniel, Daniel was part of the elite, he was part of the royal court. The first thing he did was to give those he had carried off a new name. And the new name that Daniel is given, it's there in our reading early on, it says Daniel, also known as Belteshazzar. The name Belteshazzar means Bel is my prince. And who was Bel? Well, Bel, he was the god of the Babylonians. What better way to integrate people with different religious beliefs into your kingdom than to give them a new name after your god? a name which every time they're uh, called for will put them in their place. Belteshazzar. And then Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, a disturbing dream, an unusual dream, a dream which keeps him awake at night. None of his counsellors can interpret this dream to him. And so he says, unless they can interpret it, they will all be put to death. And then we're told, Daniel gathers together with a few of his Jewish friends who were taken off into captivity with him, and they pray together. They pray for themselves, they pray for the king, they pray for Babylonia. And they pray knowing that the God of heaven, the God in whom they trust, is the God who reveals mysteries. They pray not to Baal, they pray to Yahweh, the God of the whole earth, the God who has called a people for himself, the God of whom Daniel is a part of his people. Daniel remembers who he is, and he remembers the God in whom he has trusted. Belteshazzar has another name. He has a Hebrew name. And the Hebrew name is Dan-E-L. Dan 
is the Hebrew word for judge. I is the Hebrew word for me. El is the Hebrew word for God. Daniel's name literally means God is my judge. Daniel remembers who he is. In this alien world, in this competing place of religions, he remembers who he is. He's a man who's been called by God. He's a man who is answerable to God. He's a man who will one day stand before God. He's a man who has a relationship with God. He remembers that God is his judge. He's the one he'll be accountable to. He's the one he has to stand before. Not the gods of the Babylonians, not Nebuchadnezzar, not the other advisors, not his friends, not his family, not all the competing voices in the world. There is one before whom he's ultimately accountable. He has a reference point in this foreign land. He has a compass to guide him. He knows who he is. And he knows in who he trusts. The later writers of the Bible said a similar thing to the early church. Peter, the apostle, friend of Jesus, wrote to uh, his churches he was responsible for, reminding them who they were. This church scattered throughout the Roman Empire. Remember, you are a holy nation. You're a royal priesthood. You're a kingdom of priests set apart for God. Paul writes to his churches he's responsible for in Corinth and Philippi. You are not your own. You are bought for a price. You are a prized possession. You're the apple of God's eye. Remember who you are. The second thing that Daniel does, he remembers who he is, and he seeks the good of the kingdom in which he's been set. At the end of the story, the next verse um, before Richard stops, um, we see that Daniel rises to the highest place in the Babylonian Empire. He's set over all the other rulers, all the other wise men. Uh, He's put in charge of the province. There were two um, paths open, really, to Daniel and to those who were taken into captivity. Two options that faced them. They could assimilate or they could separate. Any Trekkies here? Devotees of Star Trek? One or two looking a bit sheepish. (laughs) Rightly so. The creators of Star Trek were looking for some new villains. Uh, The Klingons had got old hats. Uh, The Romulans were too like uh, the Vulcans. And so they came across a new new idea for a villain. Uh, They came up with the Borg. The Borg have two sayings. The first is this, resistance is futile. Whenever they attack our heroes on the Starship Enterprise, whatever it is, uh, before they attack, they announce resistance is futile. And then they declare, you will be assimilated. And what do the Borg do? Well, they go around conquering the universe, assimilating planets, assimilating people, taking over their culture, bringing them into their own. They nick all the good bits. They nick the technology, they nick the ideas that work, they nick the best bits of the civilization, they leave the other bits apart. And you have no choice when you're conquered by the Borg, resistance is futile. You become a part of the Borg, you're assimilated, 
or you die. Those are your options. There is a pressure all around us to be assimilated. There is a pressure on Daniel and his friends to be assimilated, just to become Babylonian. It is so much easier. It is so much easier. Just forget all the other stuff, just become Babylonian. The same pressure on us too as Christians in West Bridgeford. Why be different? Just be like everybody else. Just take on the lifestyle of those around us. Chatting um, a little while ago with a member of this church, won't say um, who he is, a small businessman, not a small businessman, a businessman with a small business. <laughs> and we've got lots of those at St. Giles. We've got tall ones, we've got short ones. Uh, he has his own business. We have uh, electricians, we have plumbers, we have builders, we have painter and decorators, we have landscape gardeners. And he's saying, it's so, it's so hard. It's so hard doing what I do in West Bridgeford as a Christian. I said, really, why? He said, everybody, every time you go to a job, they always ask, what will you do for cash? What will you do for cash? What will you do if we keep it off the books? He says, I know my competitors, I know the people I'm competing for jobs for, they'll do jobs cash in hand. It means they can charge less, they get more jobs, they don't pay tax, they make more on the job. I'm losing jobs. I'm earning less. I'm struggling. My business is hard. What do I do? Well, the answer, well, you can assimilate. You can, you can do exactly the same as everybody else. Or you can remember that you're a Christian with a small business that you're a follower of Christ. What did Jesus say? Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Pay your taxes. Do your business honestly. Do it the right way. And commit your business to Christ and ask him to bless it. Those of you with teenage children, the day will come. Can the boyfriend, can the girlfriend, can they sleep over? Can they share a room together? All their friends are doing it. All their parents don't mind. What are you going to do? Are you going to assimilate? Well, that's the easy answer. That's a straightforward answer. That's the answer that doesn't cause any conflict in the home, doesn't make you look odd and with your uh, dinner uh, uh, party friends. Or are you going to say, well, no, we're not, we're not going to do that. We're a Christian family. We've got Christian values. Uh, we follow Christ. We want to live the way that he wants us to live in a way that's pleasing for him. So you can assimilate or you can separate. The time when Daniel was uh, carried off, the Jews carried off with him, um, they didn't know how long they were going to be in Babylon. And they settled, there's um, archaeological sites for this, of the place where they settled just outside of Babylon, 10,000 uh, people. And they had their own kind of uh, Jewish uh, settlement there. The book of Jeremiah is written at the same time, around right about the same time, or covers the same events as, as Daniel. And in the book of Jeremiah, we have the reflections of those who stayed behind in Jerusalem, watching what happened over in Babylon 
what happened to those who were taken off. And uh, some prophets in uh, Jerusalem, in Jeremiah's time, uh, they, they say, you're only going to be there for two years. You're just going to be there for two years, and then God is going to bring you back. So stay separate. Keep yourselves together. Preserve your faith. Uh, preserve your identity. Uh, separate yourselves off. Don't be polluted by the Babylonians. And then Jeremiah, a prophet of God, stands up and he preaches and he says this. Just from Jeremiah 29. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they may also have sons and daughters. Increase in number. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. This is the last thing Daniel and his friends would expect to hear. Settle down. Build houses. Make yourself at home. It's not Badi Nebuchadnezzar who's carried you off, although he has. It's God who's taken them into exile. Pray for the peace and prosperity to the place where I've put you. Seek the good of the kingdom in the place where I've set you. What kingdom has God set you in as a Christian? Those of you who are Christians here this morning. What kingdom has he set you in? Let me tell you some of the kingdoms I see around us. I see a kingdom called Experian. I see a kingdom called Capital One. I see a kingdom called the Public Service. I see a kingdom called Rolls-Royce. I see a kingdom called the Health Service. I see lots of kingdoms around us. Lots of kingdoms where God has set Christians. What are you to do as a Christian in that place? Disengage? Separate out? Assimilate? Be no different? Or engage fully? Pray that that kingdom will prosper. Play a positive part within it. St. Giles has lots going on. Loads of activities. We're always looking for volunteers. We're always looking for people to play a more active role. But one of the dangers of a, of a busy church like St. Giles is it can pull us out of those other places. We can build a separate world for ourselves, running from Bible study to meeting to PCC to event after event after event. We can make ourselves feel safe by having a little uh, Christian wall around us. The example of Daniel is a man who seeks the good of the kingdom where he's set, seeks that, he, seeks that it prospers. Those of you who are Christians who work in Experian, do you pray for Experian? 
Do you seek God's blessing upon Experian? Is your view that Rolls-Royce will prosper? That Capital One will do well? Do you have a positive view of the place where you have been set? Do you have a sense of vacation about why you're there? Do you just have a negative view of the world of work? Daniel seeks the good of the kingdom where he's set and he he rises to a high place of influence within it. Thirdly and finally, here's where we get to the dream. Daniel reminds us to keep a kingdom perspective. Nebuchadnezzar, the emperor, is haunted by a dream. A dream of a statue, a head of gold, a chest of silver, midriff of bronze, legs of iron, feet of clay. He's awake at night because every time in his dream, uh, this statue is destroyed, it's struck low. When a rock uncut by human hands strikes at the feet. Christians have tied themselves in knots trying to understand uh, what this dream might be and what the symbolism of it could represent. But commentators are united that the, the image of the statue is an image of the kingdoms of men. And that the dream is a reminder of the fragmentary nature, the transitory nature of the kingdoms of men. The Babylonian Empire fell. Uh, the Empire of the Medes fell. The Empire of Alexander the Great fell. The Empire of the Romans fell. The Communist Empire fell. Apartheid fell. The empires of Woolworths fell. Blacks fell. Many others have fallen. Kingdoms come and go. Empires fall and rise. What are you building your life upon? What gives you a sense of identity? What gives you a sense of purpose? What drives you? What's what's your dream? What's your dream? What motivates you? And do you have feet of clay? Nebuchadnezzar was the most powerful man in history at his time. Yet he knew in his heart of hearts that one day his kingdom would fall. And it did. Because all kingdoms fall. Where does your sense of security come from? Does it come from your bank balance? Feet of clay is that one day the bank balance might be empty. Does it come from your looks? The feet of clay is that one day your looks will fade. Does it come from your popularity? The feet of clay is that one day your friends might not be there for you. We can be haunted. We can stay awake at night that one day our dreams will crumble. But there is a kingdom that doesn't fail. There is a kingdom that doesn't fade. There is a kingdom that is eternal. There is a rock that's not cut from by human hands that grows into a mountain that will cover, will fill the whole earth. There is an eternal kingdom, the kingdom of Jesus Christ, the place where Jesus Christ rules, 
the place where Jesus Christ reigns. And that's what being a Christian is. That's what's uh, spoken of in our baptism vows that we've had this morning. Committing to follow him. Committing to serve him. What did Jesus say? Seek first my kingdom. Seek my rules. Seek my reign. Seek my will. Uh, Follow me. Be obedient to me. Get to know me. Serve me. Become a member of my kingdom, a citizen of my kingdom. Because his kingdom lasts forever. His kingdom is a kingdom of eternal security. His kingdom is a realm of healing and forgiveness and grace and peace and well-being. His kingdom lasts forever. And a Christian is a citizen of his kingdom. One of the things, and this is my final point, one of the things, final thing for those of you who are Christians, who are members of this kingdom and know yourselves to be members of this kingdom, one of the things that you need to do in the place where you've been set, the world of work or your community groups or your family or wherever it is, one of the things that you have to do is witness to another kingdom. That there is another kingdom that will not fade, that will not perish. Many of the people around us are like Nebuchadnezzar. They're haunted by that sense of this could all come crashing down. Part of your role is to say there is, there is another kingdom. In fact, one day it will come crashing down. But there is a kingdom that will last forever. Debbie Flood is an Olympic rower. She's a three times world champion. Uh, she got a silver in the uh, Beijing Olympics. Uh, she's a Christian. And she was interviewed on TV just before the um, uh, Olympics in London. She rose in the quad, so um, four women in a, in a boat together. And they, the interviewer asked her, what difference does being a Christian make to you as an Olympic rower? What, what, what does it mean to be a Christian Olympic rower as opposed to uh, somebody who's not a Christian who's Olympic rower? She said, I train just as hard as everybody else. I'm as passionate as anybody else. I want to win as much as everybody else. But at the end of the day, I know there's more to life than rowing. And I believe that God has put me in this boat to share with the people who I'm in this boat with, there's more to life than rowing. Part of the reason God set you in the place, he set you in the health service, the world of work, your family is so that you can say, there's more to life than this. Be engaged with your company, long to see it prosper, work hard, be a good team member, play your part, do your bit. But remember and testify, there's more to life than this. Remember who you are. Seek the good of the place you've been set in. Keep a kingdom perspective. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray you'd help us to keep these uh, lessons before us. As we remember the story of Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar's dream, help us to be people who dream dreams too, who dream dreams of your kingdom. Help us to be faithful witnesses in the place where you have set us. 
and help us to put our feet on a solid ground, the teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his name, amen.